So let's kind of go back to our theme. We have been talking about hearing him, getting God in my life in greater abundance and greater clarity. So we've been talking about this, Heavenly Father to me. But we started to see a couple weeks ago that one of the biggest impacts on what comes from heaven is what's happening here. And I know we don't have crosses, but Jesus clearly said, take up your cross. That clearly is a significant symbol. And I really like that symbol, that this is me and Heavenly Father. And this is all of those things that are happening on the side. And if I want to increase this, I also need to worry about this. So one thing we saw is one of the most significant things that contribute to how much revelation I receive is how well I'm taking care of my body. That's the whole gist of the word of wisdom. If you take better care of your physical body here, you increase the flow of revelation here. And then we saw another one the next week. <clears throat> Whether or not he receive, I receive blessings and forgiveness from God depend on whether or not I give forgiveness. If I say, I won't forgive you, then I'm tell, telling Heavenly Father, don't forgive me. This blessing depends on this blessing. If I am quick to forgive you, he's quick to forgive me. I decide how much flows from him. Then last week, we saw a significant pattern repeating throughout the scriptures. We saw in the New Testament, Jesus taught the parable of the wheat and the tares. But he really didn't make a point in the New Testament, did he? There was no therefore what. So when we turn to Doctrine and Covenants, he retells the story, but this time he adds the twist that the sleeping period when they fell asleep was the apostasy. What he was telling the Jews is that you and I are growing up. You are growing up in an environment where you can't tell the difference between wheat and tares. That's his concern about your life. Now, what do we know about tares? Remember what we read in the Bible dictionary? Two problems with tares. What are they? Number one, it's poison. And number two, it looks just like wheat until the very end. So what's the interpretation? There are people around you who are poison. And they look very similar to wheat. That's the world you live in. You go to class with people who are poison. Poison for you. Now, as I see it, there's three possi four possibilities. And this is what we talked about last week. There's four possible outcomes if I can't tell the difference between beneficial wheat and poison. Let's do the positive ones on top. Okay, so these are positive, not worried about them. Positive number one is I look at you and I see wheat and I let you into my life, I open up my heart and let you in, and you are wheat. I got that one right. I let in the thing I should have let in. I let wheat into my life. The other positive is I look at you and I say, no way, you're a tear. I'll be respectful and kind, but I won't let you into my heart. You have no room in my heart because you're poison. And what they actually turned out to be was tear. I got it right. Have you lived long enough to recognize you avoided a poison and I didn't let it into my life? Got it right. 
But then there's two negatives. The first negative is I see wheat and I let you into my life. And what you turned out to be was poison. And we've all done it, haven't we? Everyone in this room let someone into their life that poisoned them. And we couldn't tell the difference. You saw wheat, but they were tear. Now, what's the other negative? I look at you and I see tear. No thanks, no room in my heart for you, but what you actually turned out to be was wheat. I starved myself because I missed out on nutrients. I missed out on something that would have blessed me. How many of you have let a poison into your life thinking it was friend when it was foe? And how many of you have kept out something that would have blessed you? Jesus taught this parable in the New Testament, in the Doctrine and Covenants, and where does he teach it in the Book of Mormon? Who is this? What major character in the Book of Mormon did they see as wheat but turned out to be tare? This is Noah, King Noah. And who did they see as tare, burned, and then later realized was there to help them? This is Abinadi. Now, why is Heavenly Father telling all these stories so repeatedly? I think he's speaking to you about the day in which you live. We are poisoning, some of us are allowing tears into our life and are poisoning ourselves. And other of us are keeping out beneficial wheat that would have blessed you. So today I want to talk about two tares disguised as wheat. Two tares that we all let into our lives that end up poisoning us. Now, I've given you a week to think about it. Have you all recognized that, yes, I did let someone into my life? <clears throat> Have you had a realization that there are some physical people that you need to pull out of your heart? Maybe you can or maybe you can't pull them out of your life. Some of you work with tares. And I'm not going to quit my job that I love and it's going well because you're a poison and I work next to a poison. But I can do what I can to separate myself from a poison. Some of you live in the same home. And that breaks my heart to watch. For some of you, the biggest poison is a member of your family. And they are causing more harm. So those are very real. How do you deal with them? How do you be Christ-like? How do I separate? How do I pull you out of my heart if I can't pull you out of my life? But what I want to talk about today aren't people. And they're the poisons we create. So I want to make sure we have time for both of them. But I really want to cover both of them well. Poison number one is not the people in your life. It's the story you tell yourself about the people in your life. I would suggest one of the biggest poisons described as wheat are the stories you tell yourself. Let me explain. 
allow me to just share life experience. Allow the 54-year-old in the room to say, I'm about 30 years down the road from you. Looking back on my life, can I share a couple things that I've learned? Here's number one. We take what we see and hear. Those are facts. I saw that. I heard that. And we tell ourselves a story. Now, we think the story is fact. It's not. The story is my interpretation of what I saw and heard. And I tell myself a story. Now, the story creates an emotion. And the emotion causes me to act. I saw, I told myself a story, I, I create an emotion and then I react to that emotion. So if I wanna change my emotion or change my actions, what do I change? I change the story. Now, if you've ever heard of Viktor Frankl, anyone ever read Man's Search for Meaning? Viktor Frankl was a concentration camp survivor and he wrote a book about surviving the concentration camp. And he just, one of his most profound statements is, there is a space between stimulus and reaction. What he was basically saying is, I get to choose the story I tell myself. Let me illustrate, ready? You're driving down one of these far country roads, you're all by yourself, there's no one around, you've got a brand new vehicle. And you see up in the distance, about a 10 year old kid. And as you get close to him, you see him reach down and cock his arm. And you think to yourself, no. And as you drive by, he throws a rock and hits your windshield. You saw a kid throw a rock and hit your windshield. Now tell me the story you just told yourself. What story would you all tell yourself when you saw a kid throw a rock and hit your windshield? Deviant little snot who's going to pay for my windshield, right? Your emotion is angry and your actions fit that. You slam on your brakes. You're going to go get that brat. You're going to find his parents and they're going to pay for this windshield, right? Because you're angry. And so you do, you slam on the brakes, you go back to him and he comes running up. Oh, mister, thank you. I didn't know how else to stop you. My brother is coughing up blood in the ditch. And just like that, tell me what happened. Your story changed and your emotion changed just like that. How many of you would have stopped for a 10 year old boy doing this on the side of the road? I wouldn't have. And he got me to stop. And just like that, now, does it change the fact that he threw a rock through my store, through my windshield? But what's my emotion now? Compassion. The guy's a hero, not a snot-nosed brat. A hero, and I'm going to help him. So what changed? Your story. How true was the first story you told yourself? It wasn't true. And a little bit more information caused you to change the story. Now therein is your wheat 
or tear. The story you tell yourself. For example, someone comes home early from their mission. Tell me the story they tell themselves about everyone else. What are they telling themselves? What is the most likely story an early returner is going to say to themselves? Anyone want to voice it? What do they say, Zach? They think I'm a failure. They think I'm a failure. Now, what's the emotion that you're going to have when you think they think you're a failure? And what are you going to do to yourself? Now, how many times, how many of you know someone who came home early from their mission, told themselves that very story, only to discover it wasn't true? No one considers me a failure. They know I tried and gave my very best. Now, what happens when you change the story? The moment you change the story, you change your emotion. Allow me to suggest to your heads that the biggest poison in your life isn't what they're doing. It's what you're telling yourself about what they're doing. How many of you are telling yourself the story that I'm a failure? I'm a failure. And if the story is, I'm a failure, what's the emotion? And what is your action? Now, does that have an effect on revelation? You telling yourself a story is interfering with revelation. Because I'm concluding that I'm a failure. I see it all the time. People take what they see or hear and make an interpretation, and the story is hurtful. Change your story. Now, funny story. We were doing a little seminar on this, and we were talking about change your story. You have power. That's where you can control. I get to control the wheat and the tares. If I've let a tear into my life, disguised as my own thought, and then it poisons me, I need to change my story. And this lady kind of raised her hand and said, well, you can't change your story. You just can't make up a story. You can't just make up a story. That's not honest. Then about 10 minutes later, she was telling us an experience that she had. Now, remember, this is the woman that said, you can't just make up a story. So 10 minutes later, she says, oh, I got to share an example. She was assistant to a branch manager at a bank. So the guy that runs the branch, she's the assistant. The president of the bank invited all of the managers in to talk about how to improve the bank and to invite one guest. So the branch manager invited her and they went to this meeting and the branch president or the the bank president was there. A lot of brass was in the room and the the president stood up and said, hey, what do we improve? How can we improve? What could we do to make our bank better? And she didn't feel like she could raise her hand because she was just an assistant. And so she didn't say anything. 
She went home and emailed the branch president, the bank president. And he emailed back and said, those are great ideas. I'm going to bring them up at our next meeting. And she told herself, oh, he's just being nice. He really didn't think they were great ideas. And as soon as she said that, this is the woman who said, you can't just make up a story. Do you hear what everyone in the room just told her? You just made up that story. You have no evidence that he thought your idea was stupid. You have no more evidence about that, that he genuinely loved your story and your, your suggestion, and he was very grateful for it. So why do we gravitate to the negative stories? Why are you constantly telling yourself negative stories, which are poisons, and tear your spirit down? and interfere with revelation from Heavenly Father. She had no more evidence that 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 bank president was just being nice than that he actually genuinely appreciated her her suggestion. So if you're going to make up a story anyway, why not make up the story that isn't a poison to you? When you say it like that... Why not make up a story that isn't going to tear you down? Why conclude that people think you're fat or that they don't like you or that they think you're stupid? We are constantly telling ourselves those negative stories. Um, if I could share one experience I had. Um, Be vulnerable. We're all excited to hear it. Um, so I used to, honestly, I even still do. I used to have such a problem with Honestly, the story I'd tell myself is I'd see these amazing people and I'd be like, they're amazing. I can't be friends with them. They're too good for me, you know? And that's just the comparison that I told myself. Um, and I, I don't even remember how I came to this conclusion. It might have been an institute class, but I decided to start praying um, to see more of God's love in my life. And I mean, Christ is the most merciful person ever. Um, so I was able to start seeing people instead of seeing how, you know, they looked or, you know, our differences, the comparison between us. All I started to really feel first was Christ's love for them. I saw a child of God, and soon enough I realized that we're just all. We are all children of God. We are all beings together. We're in this life together. And I was able to, I mean, not only stop judging myself, but I just stopped judging other people. And that's how I changed my story. You changed the story. Now, you changed the story. Walk me down the rest of the road. If you start changing the story you tell yourself about yourself, you change the emotions, the weight you feel, the burden you carry. How many of you have told yourself at some point, I'm not something enough? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And you do it because you see someone doing something excellent. You saw something. You heard something. And the sad reality is that what that caused is you told yourself a story about yourself. 
I'm not good enough. Now, what, will, what emotion will that story always bring? Now, allow me to testify. You have no evidence that that story is true. And if you want to make a real difference in your life, if you want to hear Heavenly Father more readily, more often, and more powerfully, stop telling yourself the negative stories you've been telling yourself. You have let a poison into your life in your own thoughts. Now, do you see why we don't see the danger? We see them as wheat because what are they? My own thoughts. I don't see any danger in my thoughts. And yet, can you name anything more dangerous than your own negative thoughts about yourself? You let in a poison in the form of a story you told yourself. So start to recognize the difference between what you saw and the story you are telling yourself about it especially when it's uh, one of these stories. I'm not enough. Therefore, my emotion is this and my actions are these. Zach. Yeah. Um, I... Go ahead. I got to get this door. It's getting a little noisy. Because the story you've been telling yourself for your whole life is, I'm not look up to enoughable. I'm not look up to enoughable. I'm not the kind of person that people look up to. And yet, isn't there a spark of divinity in every single one of us that's worthy of looking up to? Um, my mom likes to tell me a lot like, Sunflower or not sunflower. Flowers and sunsets are both very beautiful, but you would never compare it to. That's right. Or their beauty. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yep. Yep. And the moment we start to compare, we tell ourselves the stories that are going to demean our source. Let me see if I can find these pictures. You just brought up a point, and I just, I saved these pictures years ago. And I don't know if I can find them. And I really want to. Let me describe the pictures, and I think you could probably paint them yourselves. Oh, there they are. Okay. So here's what the dove did a little experiment. Dove hired um, 
you know, the people who draw faces, as you describe the person, they draw them out. They hired someone and they asked a woman to describe herself. And then they asked another woman to describe that woman. Which one do you think is the woman describing herself? And which one was the other woman describing her? Let me just show you a few of them. Ready? Here's one. Notice the facial expressions. How about this one? Which picture is the woman describing herself? And which picture is the other woman describing her? Same woman. This is the exact same woman. But in this picture, she's describing herself. And in this one, someone else is describing her. How about another one? Tell me what's the point. What was Dove's whole point? When you see yourself, you do what? Critique. You critique. And when other people see you, they don't. Now, we're going to come back to this in a couple weeks because one of, the biggest, one of the biggest wheats that you are keeping out of your life is you. And I want to come back and talk about it in a different light. But what I want to say today is one of the biggest poisons in your life that is interfering with revelation are the stories you are telling yourself about you and what other people think about you. You want to dramatically improve your happiness? Change your story. Change the stories you tell yourself. Now we're going to come back to this idea and talk about letting yourself in, accepting who you are. Has one of the most dramatic effects on revelation I can tell you about. But catch yourself. Catch yourself telling yourself stories that are not true. Not just about yourself, but about the people in your life. I have a friend who is the most forgetful man I've ever met in my entire life. I swear. I have never been more astounded at how forgetful a human being can be. I was his supervisor once. And one day I said, I need you to go to your office and enter your attendance. I need you to go right now into your office and enter your attendance. And between my office and his office, he completely forget, forgot what the task he was supposed to do. Well, he has this habit of not closing the garage door. He just forgets to close the garage door. He comes in and his wife can't stand it. And she's asked him so many times, will you please close the garage door? Because it's a mess and she's embarrassed that the neighbors are seeing how messy their garage is. So just not too long ago, he went home and forgot to close the garage door after a zillion requests to close it. So tell me the story she told herself about her husband. He does not care. That's the story she told herself that night. He doesn't care about me. I've told him a hundred times and he doesn't care.
Now tell me the emotion. Tell me the emotion she's going to have when she tells herself the story that her husband doesn't care. And how are her actions going to play out that night? Do you think, how's, gonna, how that, how's that night going to go for them? Now, guess what the truth is? What's the truth? He just forgot. He is so absent-minded. And he just forgot. It has nothing to do with not caring about you. So what would happen if she changed her story? Knowing potentially what that story is going to do for the rest of the night. What if in that moment she just changed her story and said, he just forgot again. He forgot again. Tell me how the rest of the night would go if she changed her story. She would um, say, like, okay, how can I help It's going to be a lot different night, isn't it? One more example, and then we got to move on to the next one. Um, again, we were having a circumstances, or we were having a group discussion about this very skill set. And one woman just completely opened my eyes with the power of changing your story. She's, do you guys ever watch Everybody Loves Raymond? She's Deborah to Marie. Her mother-in-law is Marie and she's Deborah. Her mother-in-law is so critical of her, always criticizing her cooking, her cleaning, everything. Every time her mother-in-law comes over, she's so critical. So tell me the story she typically tells herself. My mother-in-law thinks her son could have done better. Now tell me what emotion that story creates over and over and over again. Tell me about this woman's self-esteem when her mother-in-law comes over. So one day, she decided to change her story. She searched her soul one day and said, why would my mother-in-law be so critical of me? Is there another reason? Why would she be so critical and always say such mean things to me? And then all of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning, she realized it's because he would rather be with me than her. He chose me over her. And that's why she's critical. Oh my goodness. And it was like a light went on. Now, Every time, from that moment on, every time her mother-in-law is critical, tell me what's the story she tells herself. She's jealous. She's jealous. Yes, he is coming home with me tonight, not you. She's jealous. Now, what's the emotion to that story? Pity. I feel sorry for her. <laughs> You say all that you want about me, honey, because he's coming home with me tonight. And what doesn't she do to herself? Now, tell me, does that have an effect on her connection with heaven? Does this affect this? So, allow me to invite you to search your life the most dangerous tears in your life that are causing the most pain 
are the ones you're letting into your own thoughts. And you have power to change that. You're making up a story anyway. Why not make up a story that doesn't cause a negative emotion? Okay, any last thoughts? Helpful to see that? Get the poison out of your head by changing your story. Now, number two, a very real problem in the church. Avoid doubtful disputations. This one's in the scripture, so turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Let's go to Romans 14. Oh, if I could just scream this from the rooftops. Do not let the weight of doubtful disputations tear you down. All right, ready? Doubtful disputations. Romans, New Testament, Romans 14. I'll pull it up. We can read it together. Now we're going to use, Paul's going to use food as an example. I'll stick with food, but then we'll just use a zillion other examples until you see it clearly. Okay. Here's a doubtful disputation. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Here's what a doubtful disputation is. For one believeth that he men eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. In other words, let me use our own modern day example. Okay. There are many faithful members of the church who say, if you drink diet, if you drink caffeinated drinks, you are violating the word of wisdom. That caffeine is what causes coffee and tea to be against the word of wisdom. And all your caffeinated drinks, therefore, are against the word of wisdom. And if you drink Coke, you're a sinner. There are people, how many of you are smiling because you live with these people? If you drink Coke, you're a sinner. Because that has caffeine and that's against the word of wisdom. And then there are these people. So these are the no Coke and these are the Coke who say, uh, Coke isn't against the word of wisdom. Read the Doctrine and Covenants. Show me any church manual. There is no church manual. There's no temple recommend. I've never been asked in the temple recommend question if I drink Coke. Coke is not against the word of wisdom. And I am not doing anything wrong if I drink caffeinated drinks. Now tell me what these people do to those people. They judge them. And what do these people do to those people for judging them? They despise them. I hate you non-Coke drinkers. Those are doubtful disputations. Ready? Here's the reality. There are very few things we all have to do. Most of the time, Heavenly Father says, you figure out what's best for you. For example, we all have to keep the Sabbath day holy. How we do that is up to all of us. So some people say watching TV on Sunday is against the Sabbath day. If you watch TV, you're sinning. And other people say, no, quietly sitting and watching a show with my family is one of the most appropriate Sabbath activities. 
And now we've got a doubtful disputation because what's one group going to do the other? You watch TV on Sunday? Oh my gosh. I thought you were such a good person. Now you're not. (laughs) And what do they do back? I hate you. (laughs) I despise you. Those are doubtful disputations. Okay, how about food? Eating meat. Anyone ever been around a vegetarian? Tell me what vegetarians do if you eat meat in front of them. I can't believe you're such a cruel person who would murder that cow. And they judge and they despise because I don't choose to eat what you eat. Now, here's the truth. Just because it's right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. That's a doubtful disputation. And we pour them on each other. And they are poisons. Everyone gets to choose what is right for them. And no one has the right to tell anyone else what is right for them. I love how Paul addresses this. He says, look, one man, no, no, no. Let's go down here. Let us not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If thy brother be grieved by thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat whom Christ died. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not caffeine or not caffeine. TV on Sunday or not TV on Sunday. Public school or homeschool. Ten kids or one kid. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost. But we beat each other up by telling them you have to live the way I live. You have to do it because it's right for me. I'm just going to give you a thousand examples until you kind of see it in everyday life. My sister has four very competitive boys. Can you imagine video games on the Sabbath day in their house? So my sister, for the sake of their family, said, video games are outlawed on Sunday. No video games on Sunday. Now, in my family, one of our favorite things to do is we play video games on Sunday. God invented Mario Party for the Sabbath day. (laughs) And it is phenomenal as a family. Now, what happens when we all go to grandma's house? And my kids say, let's play a video game. Tell me what their cousins do. (gasps) And there's the doubtful disputation. My dad, bless his heart, rest in peace, dad. But he was king of doubtful disputations. My dad was a health freak. And he would eat the weirdest things 
one day he's eating this, this healthy snack, and you can tell I'm despising him and just telling the story. But he's eating this healthy snack, and my wife is holding our one-year-old son. No, two-year-old, two-year-old son. And he, my dad hands him the snack and says, probably the only healthy thing you'll eat today. Ouch. Do you know what that did to my wife? To hear her father-in-law say that that snack is probably the only healthy thing you'll eat tonight? It was a total doubtful disputation. What is right for you, Dad, is not necessarily right for everyone. We carry such weights on our shoulders, feeling like we have to live up to everyone else's expectations. Your career, your job, the number of children you have, when you start having children, guess what? Everyone gets to decide what's right for them. I love how Paul says this. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falleth. You know what? I will account to God how I have lived my life. I don't account to you. And if I choose to do something that I think is best for me, I refuse your doubtful disputation. I will not let the weight of your doubtful disputation weigh me down. You do what's right for you. And if other people judge you because that's not what they would choose, don't let that wait. That is a poison. Doubtful disputations are one of the most painful poisons we let into our life. How many people have gone into a career they didn't want to go because of other people's expectations? How many people do things they don't want to do because of other, people expe other people's expectations? The weight is crushing. Can you think of other examples? Now, at the risk of you all hating me, some of you hating me, I hate BYU fans. I hate BYU fans because, because they go to the church's university, guess what they think? It's the Lord's university. It's the... It, so... And I realize that that's me despite... I'm doing the same, the same thing, but... Think about it, where we go to school, what we wear, the car we drive, the house we live in, the career we've chosen. How many of you are choosing for yourself? And how many of you are choosing because of the expectations of people around you? You're letting other people tell you what is right for you to do. And it's creating anger inside you. Does it affect this? It very much does. So free yourself of the weight of other people's expectations. 
It's very similar to change your story. Say to yourself, I grant you every right to live your life your way, but I will not feel obligated to live my life your way. Um, I had a seminary teacher once who gave me a really good visual to uh, help me understand this, but he drew a bullseye on the board and he put right in the very center of it, it said doctrine, and the second one out said principle, and then like the last one said application. And we talked about it all class, and he said, you shoot for the doctrine. You know, that's how you win, and that's not, there's no disputation there. Like yeah. the doctrine. Keep the Sabbath day doctrine. holy. Yeah, and he said, you know, you can shoot for these applications, you can shoot for these principles, but why are you disputing among yourselves when you're not winning? You're not going for the bullseye. Yeah. Beautiful example. Beautiful example. Are you okay if you're a female and you want to go to medical school? Is that okay if you want to go to medical school? You better believe it is. I know a lot of people who have been told, you can't go to medical school, you're a woman. I understand what you're trying to say, but my spouse and I will do what we believe is right for our family. You do what is right for your family. Years ago, there was a prophet who said, women, stay home. Today, do you know what the official position of the church is? Quentin L. Cook stood up and gave the official position of the church. What was it? What would you guess it is? Don't judge other people. What were you going to say? I was going to say do what works for you. Do what works for you. Do what works for your family. And don't judge other people. The weight of doubtful disputations is crushing. I wonder how many people have ended their lives because they don't feel they can live, live up to other people's expectations of them. Instead of being free to do what I think is right, I have to live my life your way. Don't let that weight crush you. You and God work it out and don't judge anyone else and don't impose it on anyone else i taught russell nelson's grandchildren several four of his grandchildren and he jokingly said one time you can be any kind of doctor you want to be but even in that is a little hint of a what i will disappoint my grandfather if i'm not a doctor Don't let other people's expectations of you weigh you down. That's a, that's a tear. Disguised as a wheat because I love them and I want to please them. You have the number of children that is right for you to have. You account to God, not to anyone else. My wife and I have 10. 
but would it be fair for me to expect everyone else to have 10? No. I don't expect my children to have 10. Everyone needs to do what's right for them. One of the most crushing tears I watch people put on their shoulders and pull into their life is living up to the expectations of other people. You live your life accountable to God and no one else. And I promise you, it will affect this. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.